1: Hey, listeners. If you're anything like us, you were a huge fan of the Ricky Lake Show back in the 90s. Well, Ricky Lake is back. She's breaking down all the historic moments from her hit talk show on her podcast, Raised by Ricky. Each week, Ricky and her co host, Kaylin Allen, revisit the Ricky Lake Show and the era to which it belonged. It's part rewatch podcast, part cultural retrospective. Raised by Ricky features conversations with icons like John Waters, Andy Cohen, Sally Jesse Raphael, and more. In the episode you're about to hear, Ricky sits down with Margaret Cho to talk about sex work, sex positivity, and how society's views on all things sex have evolved since the 90s. They discuss how the Ricky Lake Show handled sex related topics in the 90s and what they think a Ricky Lake Show episode on sex work would look like today. It's a great conversation, and we can't wait for you to hear it. To check out more episodes of Raised by Ricky, search for the show wherever you get your podcasts or click on the link in the show notes. <laughs>
2: Hello, kids. We are back for another episode of Raised by Ricky. I, of course, am Ricky Lake. And it's your boy, Kaylin Allen. Mm. I don't
3: know why I said it like that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And Mm Kaylin, you crack me up. You are one of the funniest people I know. Do you consider yourself a comedian? No. It is so funny you say
3: that because people ask me this all the time. And I consider myself to be a comedic entertainer. I know how to perform comedy. Now... In a world, do I believe that I could practice and figure out how to do stand up? Yes. But if I did stand up, all my funniest, like stand up style jokes are always inappropriate. Really? Like, there are a lot of times that I come up with jokes and I'd be like, damn, I'm never seeing heaven.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I know. I have conversations with my husband that actually just stay. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Are you good at improv? Yes. Very much so. I'm terrible at improv. Really? Yeah, I'm not good if I have to if I have to be funny. Mm-hmm. You know, I can tell stories and I can can be funny, but that is a different kind of skill set. Mm-hmm. I guess on my show I used to be like it was all quick on my feet, but it wasn't to be funny, mm-hmm. it was to tell mm-hmm. a story, it was to bring on drama. It was, you know, it was different than improv improv. I used to be like in the late 80s when I very mm-hmm. late 80s when I moved to California mm-hmm. for the first time. I became a groundling groupie. Do you know the Groundlings? mm It's an improv group. It's, they have a theater on Melrose. And, I mean, Kristen Wiig, Will Ferrell, mm-hmm. Sherry O'Terry, Paul mm-hmm. Rubens, um, you name it. Like, like, all the best of the best. Are you Googling yeah. them right now? But, yeah, are you impressed with that list of people I that am. came out of there? Who impresses you? I mean, Kristen Wiig, come on. Oh, yeah, Melissa McCarthy. Yeah, like
3: icon. Rachel
2: Harris, Cheryl Hines. I mean, there's the list of women, Lisa Kudrow. Mm. And I used to sit in the theater and just, like, uh-huh. be a wannabe. Uh-huh. That makes me think of second stage, too. It's a similar thing. There's also UCB, the Upright Citizens Brigade, okay. which, you know, Rachel Bloom, who, yes. I don't know, do you know yes. Rachel Bloom? Yes. I'm, I'm a. you know, I'm obsessed with her. Really? I'm obsessed. I'm a. I, I think she is so, that show specifically, that Crazy Uh Ex-Girlfriend is my favorite television show of all time. Have you ever met her? I did an episode of it. I sang with Amber Riley. Oh, I know Amber. played Dream Ghosts, like kind of like Dream Girls. You're going to find it. It was was magic. I loved every minute of it. And that that show is really brilliant.
3: I think also, I think when it comes to comedy, I think for me personally, the people that I regard or like. The physical comedic actors, like the Eddie Murphys, I talk about this all the time. Jim Carrey should have won an Oscar for The Grinch. That is one no, of the most and for mask. Yes, and for like, everything. I'm like he's done. Yeah. these are spectacular performances that I feel like I love them yes, too. Um Jim Carrey, I, I think Raven Simone deserves so much more credit for her for really? her comedic chops.
2: So, okay, what work are you talking about? Like
3: that's a Raven Disney okay. Channel.
2: I, it was, I was a little too old for that yeah. so I never got into that but I'll take your word for it
3: oh I mean that's some incredible work
2: yeah there's certain people that are so good with timing mm-hmm. like can just uh, deliver mm-hmm. and deliver well and,
3: and that's why I always say comedic entertainer because that's what I get I know timing because comedy is all about rhythm if you don't have mm-hmm. rhythm It doesn't work. Syntax and diction Mm -hmm. also matter when it comes to a joke of being able to land a
2: punchline. A lot of people don't understand that. Now, we, you and I may not be stand-up comedians per se, Mm -hmm. but today we're talking with basically a legend, one of my favorites Mm -hmm. from stage and screen, Margaret Cho. I've known her kind of like, not well, but I feel like we're friends, you know? I've known her for a little while, but I'm so excited to talk to her. I am.
3: You know, I actually worked with Margaret once on a panel at Netflix, when I lived in Los Angeles.
2: Well, I, we're going to talk with her. We have questions about her time as a sex worker, and we want to talk to her about some of the sexier Ricky Lake shows. Does that sound good?
3: Big power. Sound good to me.
2: All right. I I hear Caitlin. Do you hear that? I do hear
3: something.
4: Hi. Hi! Hi. Hi. it's
2: Morgan. It? Yes. It's and wait, who's Yay. with you? This is Lucia. Oh, hello Lucia. Lucia. Hi, Lucia. Oh my goodness. Lucia. Thank you both for oh, joining my us goodness. today. So cute. Very happy to have you. Thank you. Margaret Cho. I've loved you. I've known you for a long, long, long time. Yes. Like both both personally a little and professionally. We've worked together indirectly, like mask singer and crazy stuff. But you mm-hmm. I also want to take this opportunity to make a public apology to you. Why? <laughs> because you were on my last, not the original talk show. I don't think you were ever on the OG Ricky Lake show. But mm-hmm. you were on my last talk show that only ran for one year. Do you recall?
4: Oh, yeah, 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 yeah.
2: So, okay, do you have any recollection of of me and my maybe my hosting skills or that lack there- thereof on that day?
4: No, you're amazing. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, you're an icon and... I have loved you for so long, so I don't know exactly okay. what you're getting so I'm at. I'm not even but...
2: fishing for compliments, but thank you. But, it, okay, so let me explain. Let me paint the picture. So I went back to do a second talk show because, you know, I felt like I'd evolved and they came to me with, you know, wanting me to go back on the air and I made this decision with this specific company to do more mm-hmm. of like a like a Phil Donahue type of show. That I wanted my provocative, elevated content for people, you know, I just after making my documentaries, I wanted to focus more on like real, like impactful hopefully and not like meaning Not a meaningless hour. Anyway, cut to I get in bed with this company that assures me that's what they want to do, too. We were not a good fit. I was miserable. And I started medicating on that job at the very end of the season when I knew the show was being canceled. I started using cannabis, which is not something other than I guess I use it in this podcast and this job, but I I was not prone to using cannabis during the work hours. Mm-hmm. And it just got harder and harder at the end of this thing. And maybe I'm telling too long winded of a story of this. But I just remember having you on the show, someone I really admire and look up to. And I wasn't even present. Like I couldn't even rec- I feel like I was like bah, 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 oh, on the couch no. with you. It was so awful. And I I just always, I just felt like you must have thought to yourself, what a fucking quack. And uh, anyway, so I apologize for being unprofessional oh in that moment.
4: You know what? I've done so many drugs; I don't even have that <laughs> memory in my hard drive. Good. Like that was deleted so long. I have no idea. I mean, I don't even like. I mean, I really have uh, brain damage from drug use, not just cannabis all sorts. Yeah, I do too. I
2: do too. My, my uh, brain is damaged from the use of Ambien over the years. I don't know what. Oh yeah. Yeah. I
4: ate a whole banana cream pie on Ambien. I've, I've like really eaten a lot of uh, Marie Callender's inventory, Yeah, both uh, hot and cold pies. Ambien and Maria Callender should do a collab.
2: <laughs> I mean, I I actually once I, on that drug with a little little alcohol. I I signed up to eHarmony while I had a boyfriend oh. and didn't even know what I was doing. I mean, it was one of those things. You know, mm-hmm. if you first of all, I'm Jewish, so the eHarmony, you know, that is not a that is not the right outlet for me to look for love, particularly while I'm in a relationship. And I filled out that extensive, it's like an hour-long profile, and I didn't remember it. The next day, I had no idea, and the boyfriend at the time found it on my computer, like in a a shortcut, the eHarmony. Like, I kept getting matches, matches, matches. I thought it was spam. No, I'd signed up to this thing. I went back and looked at my profile. I had filled out, yes, my favorite book is The Kite Runner. You know, like, I just did the whole thing. Girl, I
4: tried to adopt a child.
0: Adopt a, a child?
4: child, girl. I was. You think that's bad? Um, I signed up to like some Christian adoption aid. Like, I was like <laughs> you who win. Did this? You win. You win. Who did this? It's so strange that drug. I can't use any kind of sleep anything because I love. I love any kind of sleep drug. So that's actually one of my. Basically, bottom lines is I cannot do any kind of mm. sleep drug.
2: I'm a gummy girl. I'm a I'm a Ooh, cannabis yeah. gummy every night, all night. It's yeah, good. I she love do it, it every day. Cannabis is good every day i also grow weed too i I become yeah. a cannabis like connoisseur connoisseur i don't know if i'm a connoisseur but i'm definitely like a, a daily user i'm an advocate mm-hmm. i made a documentary about it but like back when i did my show back and when i was you know your age kaylin kaylin is 26 by the way mm-hmm. margaret child he didn't grow up with the ricky lake show but he's definitely like taking the cliff note version on this job <laughs> oh <laughs> i love it but yeah, I was I was the Nancy Reagan like disciple. Just say no to drugs. Like I was fear filled. Mm-hmm. I was very judgmental. It freaked me out. And then uh, yeah. And then I I've evolved. And you know, cannabis. I'm I'm a huge. I just I just love that medicine. And it's helped me with my sleep yeah. and my time with my husband. It's 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 amazing. Anyway, let's talk about sex workers. Yes. Let's talk about because on my old show, and you talked about me in some of your routines with my show. Do you remember that?
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay,
2: yeah. okay. So you are a fan of the Ricky Lex show. You watched.
4: it. I loved it. I love. I mean, I love Ricky just because I think that we uh, were really outspoken in the nineties. We were um, the few women out there who had body, yadi 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 yadi. We had curves. We had opinions. Mm-hmm. And I really always felt very connected with you. And of course, there's also the Chicago connection with all the, the funny people, like from the Real Brady Bunch and the Annoyance Theater. Yep. So we had a connection there. Uh, but also, I mean, I've just been a fan for so long. So, yes, I watched the show and everything, everything.
2: Do you remember how we used to portray, you know, sex workers, prostitution? We, we did a number of those shows back then.
4: Well, it was more like I think sex work has always been portrayed as something that people would participate in, not necessarily by choice. That mm-hmm. most of the focus was on survival sex work or sex work that you would do because there were no other options. Whereas my experience with sex work, I did a phone sex when I was a teenager, which was really hard. It's hard to keep somebody on the phone until they nut. Mm. And you got (laughs) to keep talking.
2: How long would it take? I mean, what on average? Well,
4: I was never good at it. So they moved me to uh, recorded phone sex so that I would be um, recording these like scripts. Mm. And
3: where were you living at this time? San Francisco. Okay, so you're living in San Francisco. And what was your initial reaction to the job?
4: I really enjoyed it because it was um, it really taught me how to do ADR. Mm taught me how to work in a recording studio it was my first experience in a recording studio so from then I've gotten a lot of um voiceover jobs I mean to this day I am still uh doing a lot of jobs in animation and because my experience doing that like I learned how to sync sound to modulate my voice uh, to podcast even so you learn how to speak so I don't have a negative thought about it but it was definitely uh, sex work. Did you feel empowered in any
2: way or did you feel objectified?
4: Um, no, I, because it was not really about anything except talking.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: You know, I just felt like a channel for this kind mm-hmm. of energy because I would walk past all the girls talking on the phone because there was a huge office and they would all have these cubicles and they'd be talking to guys trying to get them to stay on the phone as long as possible. Every um, cubicle, there was something different going on. If there was a, one girl, like, slapping her hand in one cubicle and there was another one screaming and then, like, everybody had a different, like, sort of brand.
2: What was your specialty? Yeah, what was it?
4: Mine was um, English as a second language <laughs> as uh, sex talk. So I would use very simple structures of sentences like noun, verb. Oh, my god! <laughs> sentences That were really just, like, for people learning English, just getting started in this language. Wow.
2: That is so interesting to me.
3: Yes.
4: I would think the office was pretty chaotic
3: to be able to be on the phone. And then you got all these different noises and and sounds happening. Yes.
4: So very chaotic. But then at the end of the hall, they had uh, the recording studio. So that's where I would sit and I would just do these things about, my name is Mandy. I have blonde hair. My eyes are blue. My breasts are 36 double D.
3: So you had to play like a white woman.
4: I was always white. <gasps> wow.
3: Always white.
4: Because if you're learning English, I guess the emissary should be sort of blonde hair, blue eyed white woman. Mm. Yes. <laughs>
2: You weren't in high school. You'd already finished high school at this point.
4: I had dropped out. So I dropped out about 16. So I was probably like 16, 17. I was definitely not old enough to be there. But since it was not actually talking to anybody um, and it was sort of all under the table, I don't know exactly if it was illegal or not. I'm not sure because at that time we didn't have those sorts of thoughts about – Oh, is this illegal? Because it wasn't actual contact with anybody.
2: Margaret, this is a movie,
4: and I wanted. No, I know it really
2: right. is. Did your mom know?
4: My mom did not know. <laughs> <laughs> and I, when I told her about it later, she didn't really understand. So, oh, so then you English teacher? <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> yes, English teacher. Okay.
2: Wow. With with some specialties.
4: Yes, some specialties. Oh my
2: gosh, that's crazy. All right, let's take a break. We'll be right back. Okay, let's talk about your advocacy work, because you have been an advocate forever of sex positivity and the LGBTQIA plus and their rights. Mm -hmm. How did you first get into it?
4: When I was also working at that job, the other job that I got after that was making leather dildos at a store called Stormy Leather, which was a BDSM collective. Um, there's a business that was catering to leather women in San Francisco because we had a very like long established leather man businesses. They didn't have one for women. Leather Society has always been a big part of dyke culture yes. in San Francisco and all over the world. Their retail store opened, so I helped them out. Wow. So that was your start. And so when you started to have,
2: you know, fame and get a name for yourself and you were out there, that's that was this was the obvious issue you wanted to talk about.
4: Yes, because sex positivity was always something that was really important to me. I think because also my parents had a gay bookstore in San Francisco in the 70s. So... You know, we lived through the first pandemic, which for us was AIDS. Mm -hmm. Yes. So when um, the queer community were still looking to feel bold sexually, and we didn't really know how to do that. Um, You know, you want sex to still feel like exciting and fun. And, you know, at that time, this idea of safe sex was so pervasive and um, there was so much fear around that that we how do we keep sex intense and alive for Mm. us? So the BDSM community really flourished because it was a way to keep sex in a kind of uh, exciting space without necessarily fluid bonding, without necessarily sort of endangering yourself uh, to HIV or AIDS. It was really about finding a way to engage that was all about the mental sort of like stimulation of it and creating a lifestyle around sex that was safe, but also emotionally and uh, physically exciting. Mm,
3: Wow. I've never heard that perspective.
4: Yeah. Sex can be very exciting, but when you're dealing with something that's a deadly disease, how do you get that escape that sex should give us when it's really alive and Mm. thrilling? Sex should feel, uh, I don't know, like, like a dangerous thing but not actually be mm, dangerous. right? And so BDSM was the perfect avenue for that.
2: Wow. I mean, wow. do you think like with the pandemic of late, you know, I mean, we all had to sort of shut down and change the way we, we got close to people, right? Do you think it was similarities? Yes, for sure.
4: I mean, AIDS had a long sort of a gestation period and like we, we really couldn't figure out what was going on. We had so much misinformation, mm-hmm. you know, and so much denial of its even existence. So there was more of a long-term effect of that. But I think with um, COVID-19, there's a sense of like, how do we connect without endangering ourselves? So people hot, 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 hot FaceTimes, hot Zooms, you know, you had this sort of sense of connecting through thoughts, through um, technology that I think was really meaningful. So there was some similarity, but gay people do it better always gay people always do everything better we just we're just better
3: exactly
4: well i also
3: think uh, the difference from the two is that when the aids and hiv epidemic happened that was specifically targeting a part of the world that people wanted out of here anyway you know that and which is what led to a lot of the denial and not accepting it because they were like this is this is from God he's getting rid of all these people blah 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 while COVID is something that affected everybody you know and anybody and Mm -hmm. we knew that even though HIV is something that anybody can get it does primarily affect you know the queer community the most but I do think that we were Mm -hmm. teetering on the line of almost experiencing it again when monkeys Monkeypox. I was, was just yep. introduced right. because when monkeypox became first a thing, especially here in New York, it was only a surrounded by gay men. It right. was like this is a gay disease, and we saw ourselves about to really get into a very dangerous territory of reliving what that was like.
4: Exactly. It's just people just want to hate gay people. They they just want to find mm-hmm. excuses and. It's, you know, something that we've had to fight for so long. It's so frustrating. It is.
2: I mean, that's one of the things, looking back on the old show, it's like we really did show gay people and gay relationships like any other, you know, and Mm -hmm. I think that... Was helpful mm-hmm. at the time. You know, we're in doing this show. We're connecting with people that were personally impacted by, you know, growing up in the middle of nowhere, not seeing anyone in their towns that look like them, that talk like them, and yet they can turn on the show after school every day and see someone yeah. that definitely looks familiar. You know?
4: Yeah, which is such a great thing about the show is that you know people were like able to feel like they existed by seeing examples of themselves, which is really powerful.
2: Mm-hmm. Would you say you you could say that for yourself? Do you think you watched the show and saw people that reminded you of you?
4: Absolutely. Because you brought in the hag. <laughs> you were like bringing hags into like, you know, the girls that hang out with gay men. Oh. And Okay, the hag yeah. experience, like for me, hag is sort of a negative uh, word to, but I love that because I refer to yes, myself as a yes, hag.
2: I'm a hag, I was
4: born a hag.
2: At 18, I became an honorary hag in hairspray with, with that crew.
4: <laughs> right, you were actually like knighted <laughs> by the hag Meister John Waters. Like that was like the the ultimate honors to be given that title by mm. by Waters. You know, that's incredible. It's where hags really sh- shined, was in your show. Okay, so you, you've surrounded yourself
2: all your life with gay men.
4: I started being involved with gay men when I was 14, but I
2: stopped trying to have sex with them by the time I was 18. <laughs> I caught on. My advice for every other f- hag up there is, you need- Again with the words! But it's, it's a descriptive. Okay. It's the only word we have. No, there's fruit well, fly. There's fruit fly. Oh, Do you, fly. you find I, that I offensive, fruit, fly.
4: fruit fruit fly? Or oh, I like no. Queen of the Queens. Yeah, I kind of like be. that one. You had experience, and uh, you know, seeing us, like seeing us, and so you were bringing them on to the show. It's just like we're here. It's so exciting.
3: When it comes to your background and these these different careers that you have experienced, how has it? influence your comedy how did you find the connection from the life that you were living and finding a way to break into the industry
4: well as like a comedian I started in AIDS fundraising in the late 80s early 90s I remember Ian McKellen had just come out and so we were doing big benefits Mm -hmm. for him and he was coming out and raising money for Mm -hmm. AIDS and so I would be there and he would be there and like We would just be doing these like little drag shows also. Um, So I got my start really within the gay community doing shows for ourselves in order to kind of combat the ignorance, the um, invisibility of HIV and AIDS. So it just seemed like a natural fit to continue on in that. Plus I was also so different from any other comedian then you know, everybody was uh, white, straight, male, so there was some something about needing to talk about my identity too within my comedy, which makes you stand out. So, if you're a comedian, I think oftentimes your identity is currency. So it made me very wealthy in that because I had a lot to share.
3: Yeah, I understand that. I understand that, and. How do you think in today's day and age, how do you think sex work has changed? Because I know now in today's day and age, we have things such as like OnlyFans and we have all these different resources that have Mm -hmm. almost to an extent, especially within the the gay male uh, arena has normalized, you know, uh, sex work. So how do you think it has changed? Because I know you talked about sex work being more of a survival thing back in the day. So how do you see the scope of sex Mm -hmm. work in today's day and age?
4: I think it's wonderful. I think it gives people a lot of freedom to express themselves and um, to feel joy doing it and make some money, which is really awesome. I really admire the way that people have taken charge and, and you know, making such great careers for themselves in this industry, which I think is really cool. I think um, it's something that has lost its stigma, although there's still some stigma there. It's really like we're able to rise above it, which I I think is amazing.
3: Well, a conversation that I know that we often have within the community is the fact that now sex workers, especially those that are considered more on the porn star side of things, have become more... With some type of celebrity status, specifically within the community, and I know an argument that has been talked about lately is that with uh, sex work becoming so normalized, that it is becoming oversaturated, you know, and to to the point to where they feel like there's too many people that exist in the space, and then that's what makes it actually harder for people to be successful in the field. Do you have any any thoughts Ooh. on that, or do you see it as just like the more the merrier? I
4: think a marketplace like anything else. So, you know, you have to bring something new and thrilling to market. I I think that it's still a product that you've got to sell. And so that's sort of like, what are you offering and how is it different from what everybody else is offering? Um, Is the price competitive? Can you make it feel different? It's all like, I think it's up to um, the consumer ultimately, Mm -hmm. but you know, it's also these people are artists. So now it's kind of up to us to create something different and new and exciting. And what 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 can we do to make it work for us?
3: I love that. I love that. And if you could plan an episode of like the Ricky Lake show or any talk show or any way that we talk about sex work in uh, mainstream media today, what are adjustments that you would want people to use in the way that they talk about sex work that wasn't being done in the nineties when the Ricky Lake show and other shows were talking about sex work.
4: I think it's really like, how can we make um, positive changes and and create some more um, advocacy around sex work and to really look at it beyond the lens of shame And look at it as a a practical way for people to make a living. And then also to uh, make sure that they are protected Mm -hmm. by law, you know, and having rights and having health
2: insurance,
4: insurance, um, safety, which I think is really, really important. It's Mm -hmm. still illegal to decriminalize sex work is important. I think a lot of people have uh, opinions about legalizing it fully because of their own approach to the work. But I think it should definitely be decriminalized. And, and certainly, um, I want to make a safer environment for people who are experiencing homelessness, who are in a, a place where they're using sex work as a, a means to survival. You know, how do we make the world safer for them? Uh, there's a lot of issues that I think can be addressed when we remove the shame and stigma mm-hmm. from the work itself. Well so. said.
2: Okay, folks. Got to take a quick break, but we're going to be right back in a jiffy. Yes, yeah, so, you know, I make documentaries and, uh, you know, I'm pretty open about everything in my life. And uh, you are too. You know, you are no stranger mm-hmm. to sharing details about your sex mm-hmm. life and your comedy. What, What drives you to be so open?
4: I think it's the um, constant evolution of um, my own sexuality and the way that I feel about towards these subjects. But like I um, have identified in different ways right now. I definitely queer, but also I think I'm asexual. Like I think I've actually gotten to the other side of sex.
2: Like post menopause, post
4: menopause, post romantic feelings, post love in that romantic love aspect. So wait, explain that. What do you think that is? You think
2: like it's a chemical thing that, or a hormonal thing that you just are shut down in that way?
4: I think so. But it's, it's not exactly shut down. It's more mm. open. It's actually like now I'm definitely like much more intimate in my relationships, but not necessarily intimate physically.
2: Wow. Mm. Interesting.
4: So the intimacy, it really is about the heart and um, coming together in a soul way, mm. but not in a physical way. So it's a really interesting place to be in because, you know, my mother had a hysterectomy. All of her sisters had hysterectomies like in the 70s. So nobody was immediately there to kind of inform me how my body would change through menopause um, because they all had this. Um, artificial menopause, like in their 30s. You
2: know, this is my latest movie. It's my latest documentary. It's the business of birth control. So it's all about it. the hormones. And, yeah. you know, we would love to do a follow-up about mm-hmm. menopause. Now, I know, Kaylin, this is so not in your freaking lexicon, wheelhouse, whatever, but I'm just going to say listening. it is such an interesting thing. And there's something to be said for a woman that goes, and I'm still, I, I still get my period. I still get a cycle, even though I'm 54, but, Menopause is really, if you switch the script on it, it's an amazing time for a woman. The best. For, you know, the best. That's what I mean. And that's, I want to, I, as I go through it and have ultimately a, a great experience past crossing over to menopause, yeah, there's something we need to celebrate that our body is not having to take that energy of producing that egg every month, you know, it can really be honed into other things.
4: Oh, it's, it's the best thing. It's menopause is the greatest kept secret of life for me. Like I, I realized like my brain is opening up and it's basically puberty again.
2: Absolutely. yeah. And
4: then you age into who you actually are supposed to be when you're no longer regulated by hormonal thoughts or hormonal like actions or any kind of chemical, like you are just yourself. Liberating. It's, it's so liberating, but it's also something that society wants to deny because society hates that women can be more powerful. (laughs) They don't want us to be so powerful. And menopause is real power. Uh, The the age of the crone is the real, you know, she's the real MVP. And it's really important to embrace that. But society wants us to feel like spinsters or Mm -hmm. dried up Mm -hmm. or over. But it's actually no life just starts starts at this. So it's powerful.
2: I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I'm super like yeah I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm ready, you know, I'm ready. Okay, so Margaret, I know in your comedy album Drunk with Power, you talk about me and my old show. And, and I don't know if you remember, but it was like mm-hmm. you were uh, it, you had lost weight, I guess. What was your journey like going through, you know that period of being just scrutinized for your body? I remember on that on that that sitcom you were on, you had, were pressured, correct?
4: It was so hard because, you know, we had we had an era of feminism. Like there was a riot girl movement and there was like all these like bands with great female vocalists coming out. But we still had this idea of like, mm-hmm. you've got to look like Kate Moss. <laughs> it's, like, really what hard. year was this,
2: would you say? This
4: is like 94.
2: OK, so the second year of my show.
4: Yeah, 94. Um, very challenging, very challenging to be on television as a woman. And to not feel like you could own the space, uh, right. you had to be smaller. Mm-hmm. And so it's very physically, cha- like my body doesn't go, go that
2: small. So, what did you do to, to fit that mold?
4: Oh, I took a lot of FenFen. I did too.
2: <laughs> yep, I'm familiar with FenFen.
4: That drug, which is so
2: bad. Do you know about that, Caitlin? You're nodding your head. You've heard of that, Oh, uh, you told us. It was two drugs. Oh, I did two drugs that you took and it was basically speed and it really fucked up a lot of people's hearts, right? There were a lot of complications. Yeah,
4: so bad. But, and they gave it to me and they're like, okay, don't drink when you take this. And when somebody (laughs) says, don't drink when you take this, I hear drink (laughs) when you take this. So I was like so wasted. And um, it really pushed me into a place that was really bad, but I did lose a lot of weight Mm. from that. But it wasn't worth it. I mean, where are you now with
2: you? I mean, you look amazing. I've actually seen, like, you. do you, is it hard for oh. you to maintain where you are now?
4: No, because I don't do anything. I mean, I walk, I have a lot of cats. I run after them. I'm cleaning up. I have my dog. We walk every day. It's not like a journey that is um, something that I think about very much. But because of that, maybe because my right. shift, the shift in focus on my spiritual life and you know, um, it, it, it's so like there that I don't really think about that. But um, I don't know, like it, it's just the the shift in hormones and shift in focus has really made that a lot easier. Also society has changed. You know, society's approach to the body and especially yeah. women's bodies has really shifted because it was so like normalized to fat shame. Everybody and anybody who, especially was women who were outspoken, you know, that was so normalized. And so now uh, we have an attitude shift in society, which I think is really valuable.
2: All right. One more question. We spend a lot of time looking back on my show from the 90s. How do you look back at comedy from the 90s?
4: I think I look back at it in a way that's very bittersweet because there, there was a lot of misogyny. There was a lot of homophobia Racism, That was totally...
2: Acceptable, right? It was just accepted.
4: Acceptable. I think that uh, people mourn that. You know, like, oh, you can't make a joke about anything nowadays. Yeah, you shouldn't sometimes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I think comedy is um, in a much better place now. I think it's really about skill and finesse and your ability to... um, create like these these in- entire castles with your imagination but it doesn't have to put anybody down which i think is really awesome so i think it's a lot better
2: all right thank you so much margaret thank you thank yes, you thank you, you. Margaret.
4: thank you
2: well that was fun talking to margaret <laughs> I had so much fun. It was so cool because I've known her for so long and it just is nice to reconnect in this way and really talk about the old show in the 90s and Margaret's awesome.
3: So, Ricky, so, like, we've talked to a lot of people, right? And a lot of people that you've either had a personal relationship with or you've been a fan of or been able to get into contact with. So my question is... Now that you look back of all these people that we've reconnected with, is there anything that you... Like, has new stuff started to resurface within you of this past life? Because... And the reason why I ask you this is because I know the other day we were taping and you were like, I'm starting to realize that maybe I took it for granted.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that that there is some truth to that. You know, I think when I was just every every job was just like the next thing that came along and I just jump in and I mm-hmm. give my all and if it's a hit, it's a hit. If it flops, it flops. Like I move on to the next thing and the show, you know, I plopped into the show and it just was truly a phenomenon and I'm in this role as really a very young person who has not had a lot of life experience and I'm suddenly moderator and host and you know therapist and you know comedian and like all these skills that I didn't think I had you know and certainly didn't train to do but now you know 30 years later 25 years later looking back on these episodes and these experiences and these topics we covered I mean I'm seeing now that people were really deeply, deeply connected and moved and inspired and learned things. And it's it's mm-hmm. it's it's way more positive like than I think when I was in it and we were taking heat for being like trash TV, and there was a lot of like pushback. Mm-hmm. And you know, we were the darling when we first launched, and then we were never nominated for an Emmy again. You know, it was kind of like this, this like stain on our on the, the genre itself and the way we produce the show. But yeah, I mean, I I do think we did a lot of really powerful work culturally, you know, Mm -hmm. for young people to have a voice and to be seen and heard and represented. Yeah, I, I, I definitely have more reverence for that experience and the opportunity. I certainly appreciated the job and the money that came along with it. But I'm just also like, personally, I think I evolved in a way that I would never have without being in that role, you know, I learned so much about relationships and people and human nature. And yeah, this, this journey has been super, super fun for me. Yeah. I'm learning a lot about myself too, you know, and I, I definitely don't want to go back and do that show again in the same way. But if I did do something, you know, I'm, I'm much more of like a full, well-rounded evolved human than I was back then, you know, I love that. So. I hope you enjoyed it too. I did agree. you have fun, Kaylin?
3: I did. I had the most. Every day with Ricky Lake <laughs> is just pure
2: laughter and joy. You are like Christmas every day. Oh, man. Are you going to be bringing gingerbread when you come to see me? I keep I'm bringing that up. When you say Christmas, I think of gingerbread. I know. I'm just kidding. You don't need to bring I'm me anything, some. just yourself. All right, kids, thank you so much for listening. Please, if you like what you're hearing, what do they need to do, Kalen? Rate, review, and subscribe. Look, I remember. <laughs> yes, subscribe, and then you'll get the next episode automatically and be a part of our community. Hope you listen next time. To-da-loo. Bye. <laughs> Before we go... There's more Raised by Ricky with Lemonada Premium. I love these premium episodes because we do them AMA style, which I recently learned was Ask Me Anything. And coming up on Monday, you ask me what my most memorable fan encounter has been, and holy crap, you won't believe the answer. The only way to hear that is if you subscribe to Lemonada Premium now in Apple Podcasts. Raised by Ricky with Kaylin Allen is a Lemonada Media Original. This show is produced by Chrissy Pease, Mariah Gossett, Nancy Rosenbaum, Claire Jones, and Tiffany Bowie.
3: Our Senior Director of New Content is Rachel Neal. VP of Weekly Production is Steve Nelson. Executive Producers are Stephanie Whittles-Wax, Jessica Cardova-Kramer, and DeRay McKesson.
2: The show is mixed by Kat Yore. Music is written and produced by Jellybean Benitez, Jason Peralta, and Jay Cuts for Jellybean Productions. Follow Raised by Ricky wherever you get your podcasts or listen ad-free on Amazon Music with your Prime membership.
1: That was an excerpt of Ricky Lake's new podcast called Raised by Ricky. You can find the show wherever you get your podcasts or click on the link in our show notes.